Appreciate you helping me with that. I want to I want to talk to you one more time, at least, about the law of the right of first refusal. Now, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty long title. I've tried to figure out how to shorten it, but it's the law of the right of first refusal. So I went to the uh, Google so that they could give us a, an official uh, definition of the law or, or of the right of first refusal. And here's what it says. I think we'll all relate to this. You've all heard of it. The right of first refusal is a law, is a option that establishes the right, but not the obligation to enter into a tra transaction to obtain a benefit. Let me say that again. It's an option that establishes the right, but not the obligation to enter into a transaction to obtain a benefit. The person with this right has the exclusive opportunity to establish a contract on an asset based on a agreed price. If this person declines to exercise this option, he then must compete with others to qualify with no advantage. So you could, an example of that is if someone rents a property from someone, a landlord, and they can't buy it right then, but they have to have that property to function. If the landlord was to sell it to somebody else, they'd be up a, they'd be up a stream. So they, they put an option in there that says, if you ever sell this, no matter what price you have, I have, you have to come back to me before you sell it for whatever good price you can get and allow me to meet that price. I have that right. That's what that means, uh, especially with renters. So what does that mean to us? What, what is that? Well, it, it's an opportunity. The law of the right of first refusal is a right of opportunity. So there's things that are in the kingdom. There's things that are in the spirit that are specifically given to you and me or you or me. And God has given you the right to say no to. That's right. it, it's an option. You have, you, you have the option, not the obligation, to be healed. But it's yours to give up. Have you ever heard their, uh, them say it's theirs to lose? Uh, in football even, or sports, they'll say this, this opponent is so dominant, so well equipped, so, so full that... For them to go and play another team, it's theirs to lose. That it's all but them to win. And if they don't win, it was theirs to lose. It's not an equal contest as far as what anybody can see. So I'm looking at the new covenant. That's an opportunity that's been given to us that's ours to lose. People that say God's in control, they don't believe in this right of first refusal. They just say... If God doesn't want you to have it, you can't touch it. Do you all know what I'm talking about? They just say, if, if, if it's not God's will for you to be healed, then you don't have that option. It's not for you. It's up to God or to be blessed or, or whatever. Well, we know that's not true. We all have the right of the, we have the right of first refusal. He brings it to me and it's mine to lose, mine to give up, mine to not exercise the option and if I don't, it moves on. Now, healing doesn't move on to somebody else. There's not just so much to go around. But other things, like this property. If a guy says, I've got the right, and I don't exercise my option to buy this property that I've been renting, then somebody else comes along, and they can buy it for less or, or different because the option wasn't exercised. And that's the same way it is for us. I want to call it the opportunity of life and life more abundantly. I want to say it's Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full, and it's an option. Now, our gospel, the gospel that we like to talk about, is that after you get born again, after you get born again, you have an option of abundant life. And so if people are born again and they don't want an abundant life, really, a lot of times we need to move on to somebody else because it's an option that you can live a cruddy life and go to heaven. Or you can live an exuberant life and go to heaven, but you're going to go to heaven once you're born again. Are we, are we good on that? So, you know, I, I, 
my life, I, I try to talk people into or persuade or, or uh, uh, reveal what more than going to heaven is for people. But some people are not interested. They're not interested in healing. And it's because they've been going to a church or they haven't been going to a church that tells them that this is not an option. God's in control. God's having his way. And if you didn't get it, then he says yes or no or not now. That's their answer. And that's not the answer of the scripture. So if we don't take the option, then we're on our own. And in America, that's, you don't really need the abundant life option until you do. You need healing when you need healing. But they can patch you up pretty good, and there's a high percentage of operations and, and remedies and stuff that'll put you on down the road. You can, you can do pretty good in America. But if you weren't in America, if you were uh, in, uh, what's this, that? Kazakhstan. I don't know anything about Kazakhstan, I, but you might not have it as, you might ought to believe God over there. You might ought to exercise that option. So when Jesus said, I've come and gave, given you the option to have life and life to the full, he gave us an option that has a door. And we have to know there's a door there. It doesn't just come on us. He wants us to be rich. He wants us to be healed. But it's our option. He wants us to be born again. And Jesus paid the price. But that's our option. Is that right? And you know, lots of people Jesus died for, paid the price for, that are going to hell. And yet they didn't exercise their option. So scripture, the promises tell us of a multitude of options. And faith, or believing this word, believing the promises, exercises or puts in play the option to, to abundant life. So it doesn't just fall on you because you're born again. It, it falls on us when we exercise the option, which is to believe the word, believe it in faith. So uh, to exercise the option in our contract with heaven, the new covenant contract, we simply believe the word about who we are, which then gives us the option to what we can do, or what we can have. You might believe that you're a Christian and that God loves you, but not know anything about your options, and therefore they would, uh, they would just pass you by. So it's mine to lose. Abundant life is mine to lose. God's not handing it out to some and not others. He's not saying you're, you're more blessed than others and I've got a plan here that needs you to be sick or poor or, or uh, apart. It's my option. Everything in the book is my option. Whatever anybody else can do, I can do. I can have. I can be. And so I want that. We know that all children in a, in a good world inherit all of the things of their father. That's how it works. Children pass, parents pass down to their children. And God is a good God. He's a good father. And we are his children. So he wants us to. But as you know, some, some children uh, don't receive what their inheritance is. And they exercise their option to opt out of being in the family, so to speak. And so even though it's theirs, the blessing is theirs, they act so naughty that the Blessing can't go on them. So that happens a lot. Would you turn with me to 1 Samuel? We were there last week. We're going to start out in chapter 17 this time. It, it works out a lot better than that wrong chapter I sent you to last week. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel 17. Let's, we're not going to do that all again, but let's go straight and just pick up on verse 23. Uh, not 1 Kings, 1 Samuel 17. Okay, let's go to verse 23. Now, this is the story of David and Goliath, and uh, David walking up, sent by his father to bring some good food to the captains of his other sons, uh, over his other son. And, and uh, it says, David, as, in verse 23, as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. 
out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. The word says earlier that he came out 40 days and he did the same thing every day. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. The word says everybody. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, This is funny. What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So here we have covenant talk. Covenant talk. Faith has covenant talk. When we take communion, when we take the Lord's table, it's about establishing the covenant in us. When we're water baptized after being born again, it's a covenant demonstration. I've aligned myself with him, the Lord Jesus, and I, he is my master, my Lord. And it's covenant talk. Well, here, David, even though he was not in line in any way, he came up and expounded after they'd already told him what it happened would happen. He said, say that again. Here's an admonition for us to go to the word and have the Lord say that again. By his stripes, you were healed. Amen. So we go over and over. And in verse 27, the people answered him after this manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard what he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. Well, he really knew it, didn't he? For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So when you're in faith, when you're in covenant talk, they will accuse you of being self-righteous, of being haughty, of being prideful, that you have something that they can't have that you have an option that they don't have. Well, the Lord didn't give me that option to be healed. He chose to make me afflicted and, and no recovery. And, and uh, if y'all don't know about these people, they're everywhere. They have, they have taken this on as their lot in life because they got wrong doctrine. Verse 29, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And we looked at that word cause and found the word to be answer or solution. For success. Is there not a cause? Is there not an answer or a solution to make this thing turn out right? In other words, okay, Goliath's out there and everybody here is afraid. We got those elements out there, but isn't there an answer for this? Does God have an answer? So point with me to yourself and says, He have an answer. I'll better than that. He has an answer. So I'm listening to myself say, the Lord has an answer. He has a solution. There's always a way to win. Amen. This is that story where there's always a way to win. And there is nothing obvious here. There's nothing here that you'd say, well, I saw that coming. Nobody saw this coming because all of the men that were in the army, the captains, the generals, even the king, had not exercised their option to go out and fight Goliath and save the day for everybody. Nobody would lose their life, according to Goliath's terms. If someone would go out there and whoop him, they would all go home to their families. So David stood up there. He stood up there and he engaged for the solution. And that's what we are doing. Is there not a cause? Isn't there an answer for my, for, for the, in my body? So suppose there's something in your body and the doctors say no and and you've been to several people and got prayer and, and you know, all that. And you go, is there not an answer? There's always an answer. Amen. And it's sometimes as hidden as David being the secret weapon, as it were, for this situation. But what I want to point out in this, the whole thing I want to, to say, is that divine order. And David was at the end of divine order. Everybody else had passed on the option to go out and fight the giant. Would you all agree? There's nobody saying, well, who's this whippersnapper? I want to go out and do it. They, they'd all, they were in the back. 
So divine order does not go, uh, excuse me, divine order doesn't skip people in order to guarantee a result. And what that means is the guaranteed result would be some big guy uh, in the army that would go out there. But God didn't say, well, he's the most likely and David's the least likely. He let everybody take their option. And that's the way it is on us. There's an option for you and me. And God's not going to send someone more qualified for you just because they are more qualified. He's going to let you and me exercise our option. The law of the right of first refusal. So if I don't refuse, if I take it, it's mine. It's mine to lose. Praise God. In First Chronicles, we looked at this. First uh, Chronicles eleven six. David said, "This is down the road. Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first. So there's he, there's a condition on this thing. It's first. I always pictured them being in foxholes or being in a battalion and whatever all lined up. And David addressing them, saying, "We're going over here. The Jebusites are." They're, they're a tough little bunch, and we've got to take them out to take Jerusalem back. And he, he did the same thing that, that the Lord did for David. He gave the option to everybody. Did you know that Saul and everybody under Saul had the option before David got there? So David took that same thing, and he said, I'm going to give you the right of first refusal. I'm going to give you an option Whoever goes up first and smites the Jebusites shall be chief and captain. Now, I just imagine it in my mind, because I, I, this is one of my favorite scriptures. It's a courage scripture. I like everything courage. I like everything courage. Only be strong and of a good courage. I like it. I believe it's a key, a big key. I think a lot of people that are the most talented, the most apt, the most able... They can't do, get the job done because they don't have courage. And that people that really are less qualified, if even qualified, just have that big dog thing in them. You, you've heard the story about the little bitty dog, the little chihuahua, looking at the knot hole in the fence to the huge dog on the other side. But he, the little dog doesn't know he's a little dog. He just, I'm a dog. That's a dog. And so he's just barking his head off. Let me at him. Well, that's what courage is. It's like, I'm not considering how even this is. That situation may look impossible to somebody else, but I can do it. I can have it. So uh, uh, the Bible says, so Joab, the son of Zeruiah, sorry, Zeruiah, if I misdid your name. It says he went up first and became chief. Let's say that together. He went up first and became chief. Now, that's the, that's the illustration. That's the pattern for you and I. Anybody can think about it long enough. Anybody can say, now, what's the reward? I get to be chief over what? And how is my pension and whatever? They just heard the trigger come back and they pulled the trigger. It didn't really matter. It was in them to do. And I say to you, I say to myself, it's in me and it's in you to do. If we have courage, if we've already said yes, it's the blank check thing where you give a check to God for your life and you just sign it and leave it blank and then pass it over there and let him fill in the amount. Let him fill in the cost. Let him fill in what he's requiring of us because we're bought with a price. We're not our own. He already owns all of us. The tithe, you know, that's what we give in order to convey to the Lord, I'm giving you everything. The tithe has to be easy. It can't be something that's hard because then you're saying, I'm giving him 10%, and so I'm giving him this part of my life, but I need 90 to to live on. But the tithe, when it's tithed, not just separated from you, says, I'd give you all, but I'm giving you this, saying, I'd give you all. And the Lord then receives 10% and says, she gave it all. She gave it all. He accounts, his accounting is that we gave it all. That if he came back in a moment and said, uh, I need 50%, we'd say, sure. Wouldn't hesitate because the first 10%
was not 10%. It was, it was the full measure of giving him all. Saying, if, this, if you need something else or more, I'm bought with a price. Jesus is Lord. So it's an attitude thing. So everybody can give, they can write their check, and, and I don't know, you don't know, who's saying, you need my house, you need my car, it'll take me all week to sell it, but uh, I'll bring it. You go, that's crazy. God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't if you give him 10 as if you would. Because otherwise it's the law. Otherwise it's legalism. Otherwise it's I'm doing this so you'll do that. But tithing is eternal. It's, it's, it's across the covenants because it's a heart issue. And where a man's treasure is, there is his heart. So when we give our treasure, if we give our treasure, we're giving our heart. And that's all he wants out of us is our heart. So tithing is just a way to express that. Amen. So uh, I wrote down here, expectation is the key to being first and only. That, that if we said we need someone to paint the whole building, and you don't even like painting, you don't even know how to paint good, we wouldn't even like you to be painting. We, 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 would got, we don't have that many drop cloths. We, we just don't have that many, you know. But you'd be up here. You get that? That's, it's, it's like we're holding things loosely in our life. He gives us the right of first refusal, and we don't take everything that's offered, but we would in our lives. Turn with me to Matthew, if you would. I want to I put this together a little bit. The right of first refusal is actually saying, pick me, pick me. What is that movie, Deborah, that uh, you always... Uh, is it the, the, the gulls or the pigeons or something that says mine, mine, mine? Finding Nemo. And it's, who, who is it doing the mine, mine, mine? The seagulls, okay, in that movie. I mean, it's just such a great thing that they're, I guess there's food out there and they're all after it. Mine, 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 mine. Well, that's truer to life than we'd like to. In Matthew chapter 14, in verse 22, we didn't get to this much last week, but it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciple to get into the ship, into a ship, and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship, but the ship. Uh, it started out and he was okay, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So there was something available that didn't seem available. Uh, this morning I got up and I got that scripture and I didn't know where it went. It's in 2 Kings 6.6. 6. Matter of fact, I'm just going to read that story to you. Don't, don't turn there. Let me just, uh, I think this fits. Okay, uh, just to jump into the story, the sons of the prophets were going out to cut wood, and one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, he cried and said Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Verse 6 says, And the man of God said, Where fell it? in the river, and he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, the prophet, and cast it in thither. See, the problem with you and me is we don't cast in thither. But it says then, the iron did swim. And then you go to Ephesians 3.20 that says, he does exceeding abundantly above what you can ask or think. Nobody thinks iron can float, much less be propelled along to swim out of the water over to the bank where you can pick it up. It's the most unreasonable event in the Bible. It's as unreasonable as anything that's in there that the iron did swim. But doesn't that what it says? The iron did swim. So here we have Jesus walking on the water. So it's not even like it's the first time that water has held up 
a mass of, with gravity on it that's above its own molecular weight or whatever they do that makes boats float and iron not float. And so they were amazed, but that was, it was already a precedent in the Bible for the iron did swim, Jesus walked on the water. And what that means is, is that you and I could walk on the water if we had to. If we had to, we could be Philip that baptized the eunuch and was translated to Azotus. You go, well, that's just for the Bible. That's just for that day. That's whatever. Well, you'd be wrong. When we get involved, and they do in other countries, they do in places of revival, just not America. Never judge the world in revival based on America. That's where the amen goes. If you'll read, if you'll read, if you'll tune into what God's doing across the world, you'll find out we're way back in Egypt, so to speak, concerning revival. And we talk about it a lot, but, but we haven't given ourselves to it like he wants. And so we're sort of here in this church, River Church, we're talking about testimonies. We're talking about uh, the things that God's done in the past, even with this book about something that happened to somebody uh, that's just like us. He was just a, a man that did things and amazing things happen. Then we go into the Bible and say that the iron did swim, that she filled every vessel. And when she ran out, the oil quit, that the meal bucket never quit, that that uh, manna fell every day, six days a week, you know, you go, that's, that's not any, we, we get that thing and say that was then or that was for them and discount uh, who we are when it's just a lack of courage. Now, Leroy Thompson talks about laying hands on his washing machine when he didn't have washing machine fixing money and the washing machine started washing. But one day he got money to buy a new washing machine and he went out and bought a washing machine. Even though, even though, you've heard of people laying hands on their car when they ran out of gas and they made it to the next town. That's just, that's just bold-faced everything, isn't it? And, and I'll tell you, every one of us in here have a testimony, even Garland this morning. That we can't discount that. That the Lord came through when we said, what, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them. And I've actually found my credit card in one of those little plastic bags. But I was like Garland, and I, I looked for it half a day. And I told Deborah, where's my card? And she says, and she rolls her eyes like, oh, here we go again. It happens regular. And, uh, but see, that's the supernatural. That's the supernatural. Sure, you can call them and cancel it and get a new card in six days and, and start all over with all your numbers that are already out there. Or you can just go dig in the trash and find your card and move on with life. So I, I, I commend you, but I commend all of us that we are living in some measure and level of the supernatural. That people, if you told them these stories, would either discount it. Well, they would discount it. They would just say they're discounting what you're saying or who you are, nevertheless. So um, in verse 28, it says of, uh, in chapter 14, it says, and uh, excuse me, where am I? Uh, yeah, 25 says, the fourth watch of the night, he went walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is the spirit. And they cried out for fear. This is exactly like when the giant showed up in Israel. It says they were all blown away. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Now, we're, we're in the 2022. I personally, take your own counsel, I don't think we have much longer before the Lord Jesus is going to snatch us out. And if you watch Ukraine get overrun with Russia, and you find out that China has a $200 million army, which is exactly what the Word of God says will come down and make a prey out of Israel, you'll go, the days are short. It's okay. It's better over there than it is over here. And after seven years, we're coming back. 
Don't forget we're coming back. It's not like, well, I'll be over there forever. I didn't get to marry this, so, this guy and I didn't get to have these children. Sure you will. Seven years. And we're going to get, like my dad always says, well, I can't say what, what he says, but uh, he says he's going to be happy. That's what my dad's always saying. Uh, fat, dumb, and happy. So uh, I said, Dad, that's a terrible thing to say, but actually he's healthier than everybody in the family. He's 91. He's actually uh, doing better. So uh, we're in that day. As the time gets closer and shorter, the more this is going to ramp up. What if they froze our money? What if they took away our fuel? What if they, what if all these things that could never happen but are happening, happened? The grid went down in America uh, last year in Texas, and it just, people died. People were shut out. We're going to have to live on the supernatural. Not today. I'm paying my electric bill, and they're pumping it out every month, and I don't need the supernatural for my electricity right now. But we always have to stay ready. Or we'll be those crying people, those, those hysterical people that are going up in an elevator, and it stops, and it bumps a little, and they just start losing it. Have y'all seen any movies? Have you ever been in there with one when they, we're going to die, we're all going to die, we're dying now? And we always just say, you first. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, so the iron did swim. If it did back then, what are we saying is too crazy to happen now? If the iron did swim. I, I just think it's amazing. Moses struck the rock and the water followed him all the way the rest of their journey. The, the Israelites who had been enslaved 400 years, they asked the Egyptians for their stuff and they just gave it to them. They were funded. And you go, that can't happen. Well, it did happen. It had a need and it had a, a, a response. So whatever's facing you and me in the days ahead, there's already, like David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a solution? Is there not an answer? And there is. You don't know what it is. It's like the gifts of the Spirit, but it'll be adequate. It'll get you through. And we have nothing to fear. Fear not, he said. We have nothing to fear. So he's telling these boys, fear not, it's me. And what I like, I love this story. This is one of my favorite. Uh, in, and so... In verse 28, are you in 1428? And Peter answered him and said, Lord. Now this is initiating things. The Lord just says, it's, be not afraid. And, and Peter comes up with a, let's go to the next level. Now that's courage. When you don't just say, whew, I, I, I made it. Instead you go, okay, let's, uh, he's walking on the water. Let's see what's in this for me. And Peter uh, answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou... If it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down to the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I am aware, you are too, that all 12 of them were pretty paralyzed, pretty petrified, whatever the word is, to see the ghost walking on the water. Because they didn't think it was Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. But after Peter talked to Jesus... They recognized him, wouldn't they? Certainly Peter did. He says, if it be thou, Lord, bid me come. And the Lord said, come. And so Peter recognized his voice. So they weren't wondering who it was out there. And then Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water just like the Lord Jesus. Not halfway, not up to his knees, not just like Jesus. So the 11 that did not know who was out there, suddenly, did they not all know who was out there? They all knew who was out there, and then one of their own actually, just like them, just like them, he walked on the water. I want to say he walked on the door of opportunity. He walked through the door of opportunity. Now, we can all play defense, and if we have a need, we have a crisis, we have a peril, we can call on God and we can say, deliver me from this trouble. And we know that God will. But there's another aspect of courage that says, I'm not in trouble. It's pretty good. Better than it used to be. 
I got this. I'm doing that. I'm having this. Let's just see what the Lord has for more. In other words, you're not waiting on a crisis to have the supernatural. You're living your life saying, let's have some super on my natural. Now, that's a whole other realm of Christian. That's a whole other realm of faith. That's a whole other realm of, of living your life like heaven wants you to. Days of heaven on earth. I don't know if you want that, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring the hot bread into the kitchen, into the dining room, and let you smell it and see if you still don't want hot bread. Ah, we want some hot bread. Well, we want to talk about miracles. James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, James the Lesser, Judas, Jude, Matthew, Philip, Simon the Zealot, and Thomas sat in the boat. Eleven men who knew it was Jesus had their comrade Peter walking on the water, sat in the boat. One out of twelve got out. Eleven hunkered down. They missed their opportunity. They passed on the right of first refusal. They said, not today. Not Simon the Zealot, not Jude, not Jude. None, none of them did. They passed on their opportunity. So we're not saying that it's good enough to say God delivered me. I have a testimony. I had trouble. I, was, I had no means of getting through it. And the Lord... And the Lord. And so we tell our testimony. And the Lord fished me out. He delivered me. He, he put me on a place. But how about the testimonies that are not defensive but are offensive that says, bless God, I got up this morning and I decided I was just going to go do, do this and thus. I'm looking for a devil to take out. I am. You go, nobody does that. We're, we're like, don't bother. Don't rock the boat. If you don't bother them, they might not bother you. But it's a lesser life. And you just get one life. And if you don't do it soon, it could be the Lord's going to come back and you won't be able to road test that part of the kingdom. So this would be like going into Walmart and just walking up beside somebody that's got a cane or a wheelchair or whatever and just saying, excuse me, ma'am, I'm a Christian and I pray for the sick. And a lot of times the Lord heals those that I pray for. Could I pray for you? And they're like, sure, knock yourself out. And suddenly they're walking without their cane. Ah, that's a higher realm of living. A realm that's above getting the supernatural for me and start releasing it for others. Oh, the Lord likes that. And really, now listen, that's really what our faith is for. Because we're covenant people. Wow. Our needs are met. Our bodies are healed. We're speaking to mountains that are in our way. I like Malachi 3.10 that says, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out. Such a blessing. And the word is kind of in italics there, but it literally means pour you out a blessing until it overflows. And then John 10 I have come that you might have life until it overflows. And so good enough is not good enough. If you get the real intent of the kingdom out, there's stuff that's being, listen, there's stuff that's being offered to you and me that we're not in crisis mode to activate. And so we just pass on it. It's like, I'm, I'm fine. Don't need any supernatural. Wouldn't that be wrong for you and I to be supernatural creatures and pass on the supernatural. I'm talking to me. I'm, we are all in this together. There's nobody wagging their finger here. It's just I'm provoking you to love and good works, I hope. That's what I want to do. Uh, in John 12, slip over. I, I'm almost through. I only want to stay in the pulpit until you're through with the Word. I, I don't want to go past my time. So I endeavor to keep you on the edge of your seat with the Word of God. We, we're not here for information. Bless God, you can read your own Bible. Isn't that right? So, we, we, so it says in chapter 12, verse 3, then, Mary, then took Mary a pound of ointment of... How would you say that? 
We'll, we'll call it perfume. That's how it's spelled. Very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the anointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. We know about him, don't we? Which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And here's verse six. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. I looked it up in the Amplified and it says, and having the bag, the money box, the purse of the 12, he took for himself what was put into it, pilfering the collections. Wow. So when Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus... Would y'all say that he didn't pass up on his right of first refusal? That they offered him 30 pieces and he said, I'll take a little dab of that. He was one of the 12. Now, how about the Lord Jesus who already knew that he was taking the bag and pilfering? Why would he allow him to stay on staff? Well, the same reason that he allows you and me to stay on staff with all our junk. I said, we got some junk. We got some unresolved conflicts. We got some stuff that uh, we're working through and it doesn't look too pretty when we really find out what we're doing or what we're thinking. And yet the Lord just keeps saying, you're the king. I'm the king of this king and the Lord of this Lord. You're the head and not the tail. He, he just keeps saying, as you are, as, as he is, so are you in this world. He just keeps on saying that even though we're just like Judas in a lot of ways. So he's passing up on some opportunities to kick us out and to say, you're not worthy. When in fact, every one of us could go up to Goliath and take his head off. We could. And remember, he had a, he, the, the word says of David that he had a driver. I don't know what this means, but he had a wagon with a driver and he got off of that to go out and greet his brothers. So he could have gone to the house this afternoon. Instead, he said, we got business here. We should be aware of business. Not in the natural to say, I'm shy and I don't like to do that, but that we're so supernatural on the inside that we just say, this is a job for Superman. Are y'all Superman, Superwoman? Oh, I am. Praise God. So I want to ask you a question, then we'll quit with this. Are you and I, I'll say you and I, but I'm going to put it, are you, waiting on an easier or more convenient door of opportunity. In other words, I'm really busy right now. I don't have time to walk on the water and I don't have time to be translated to Moundville or wherever. Are we delaying because we're waiting for a more convenient time? I'm gonna put it out to you. It'll never come. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day of walking on water. The 11 said, this is not convenient for me to walk on the water today. I'm going to go home and pray about that. And I'm going to go home and study the video and make sure that, you know. And then Peter, you know, the word says that he sank. He saw the waves boisterous and he sank. That's what everybody likes to talk about. So are we waiting for a time to be more prepared? I'd pray for the sick, but I don't really feel qualified. I, I, I really need to pray about it. Are we waiting on more experience, as I said? Uh, did you notice that the 11 never became, never became water walkers? They all died without ever walking on the water. I, I like Peter that had that badge. And yet you, you find out that Peter denied the Lord three times. And you go, what's that all about? How, he's the one that walked on the water. He's the one that, and yet, 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 none, I said last week, none of Israel's army were ever, none of them were ever counted as noteworthy in the word. From Saul all the way down to David, none of them had a place of infamy. David was the only one that gets mentioned again. And all of Joab's friends, remember Joab, they were all buddies. They were eating out of the same beanie weenie can at uh, MERs or whatever those are, meals to eat, ready to eat, MREs, that's what they are. They were all eating out of their same, the same, and yet then all of a sudden they were saying, Mr. Joab, can, can I, I'm reporting for duty. And Joab says, get over here and get this done. They were roommates until he was over all of them. And that's what the Lord wants you and I to know. We were natural, but now we are supernatural. 
We were timid and shy, but now we're bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues. Hallelujah. So I say, just let me be provocative, that you and I have been waiting on this day in 2022 all of our lives. That the Lord has been preparing us. He sent the boat ahead and walked on the water so that he could stand in front of the boat, the boys in the boat, and say, all of you can come. Only one asked, but therein is the, the door of faith right there. Only one asked. They couldn't have walked on the water except to see Peter and say, can I come, Lord? And he would have said, come. It was the word come that made him a water walker, wasn't it? He, the faith comes by hearing. It's activated. So they would have had to hear it too, but they could have. They could have all said, pick me, pick me, mine, 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 mine. And there's things that when we hear these testimonies, and when we see the water, the, 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 the iron did swim, that we could say, we could say, I may never make the iron swim, but it'll be just like it. Be sure, be sure that we don't just live our life and leave this life. And nobody can say anything about us. They just say, well, yeah, he was here, she was here. They had a little house down on Elm Street. Uh, have you ever heard this? I'm trying to get through this, but have you ever heard men say that to the Lord, I'll do, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. And have you ever heard them say that the Lord said back to them, they'll say, I'll do it the hard way or the easy way. And the Lord would say back to them, it doesn't matter to me. I can get it done either way. Putting it back on us, whether we want to get a little reward but get the job done, or get a big reward, get the job done. I've heard it many times where the Lord just said, I don't really have a will in this. I'm putting it in your court. I believe the law of right refusal is exactly that, that he's just saying, here's a menu, order off of it just what you can handle. Here's, here's a list of things you could do and could be and could have. Just order off the menu, just order off the list. So no one can say my life was just all the Lord had. We'd have to say I could have any life. I can have any life. I can have any. Say with me. I can have any life. So it's up to me. And if I refuse it, if I just say I, I'm not going to exercise that option of opportunity, the Lord's not mad at us, obviously. But we have a mundane, mediocre, routine life. I was thinking about how I could stretch this into next Sunday, but that would be mean. But I was thinking about Isaac being sacrificed by his father, Abraham, and how the Lord said, I want you to do it. And he had the right of first refusal. I was thinking about uh, the 10 spies being sent in. And all 12 of them had the right of first, first refusal to say, we're going to do our job. We're going to do our job. Reconnaissance is our job. Politics and leadership is not our job. We are reconnaissance. But only two figured that out and said, we saw, but that's nothing. Uh, I was thinking about Paul when he decided to, he said, I can't decide or I can't, I'm choosing between going or staying with you. He said, I, I really want to go. You read that in the word. It says, I really want to go. It would be better for me to go, but for your sakes, I will choose I will refuse. I won't refuse that right. Uh, uh, I was thinking about all the disciples that, uh, of course, Judas hung himself. So there was uh, 11 and they replaced him. But that was of no consequence. But they say, who knows? They say that all the disciples except for John on the island of Patmos died martyrs deaths. That Peter was crucified upside down at his choice because he didn't want to be compared to the Lord Jesus. So. That was the right of first refusal. They could have all, after the Lord Jesus was ascended, they could have all run off. Peter denied the Lord three times, so he was well on his way. So I don't want that life for myself. And so I'm not just preaching you a little sermon that you can say, well, that's good to know. We should be provoked in our hearts. And this is one way to do it, is, is this. Let me read you something about, uh, I'm still quitting. But I've got this, and I just put it in there in case I had liberty. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, let me read that to you. For he that speaketh in his unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Who? But unto God. 
for no man understandeth him. How be it? Here it is. In the spirit, he speaketh mysteries. Ah, praying in the Holy Ghost is praying out the mysteries. The Amplified says, for one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands or catches his meaning because in the Holy Spirit, he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. So there's mysteries. The Lord knew that, the, that, that Peter was going to get out of the water. He knew David was going to say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, that annoys us? He knew all that. But he put it in front of all those other men first in divine order. Because he's righteous. He gives every one of us a shot at it because he's righteous. He knew. He knows. But he still gives us a chance to refuse because he's righteous. Otherwise, we'd go to heaven and say, Lord, you never gave me a chance to get out of the boat. Sure he did. So what are we let go by us? It's ours to lose. This life is ours to lose. When you were a sinner or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or whatever you were before you got here, you might not have known about this. But now we know it's mine to lose. And I don't want to miss my one shot. I don't. So we're going to have prayer. We're going to have river teams and we're going to pray for the sick. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to have some live testimonies from praying for, for from praying for the sick and for working things out. This thing is just just slipping under the door, as it were. But it's very powerful because of what we know and what we're going to do. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for mysteries that have been hidden for us. And you said that we build up our most holy faith when we pray in the Holy Ghost and that we pray out mysteries. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we give ourselves to pray out the mysteries, the things that are hidden from us, but they're hidden for us. We access heaven and we will not be defensive another day. We will not use the power of God only to save us, but, Lord, to propel the kingdom forward. Lord, forgive us for being so selfish, but Lord, empower us. We use our boldness. We use our courage to go to the place that you've ordained us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, praise to God. Thank you for holding on. That was just about an hour. I'm done.